Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. Christ, the Son of the Father. We're going to dive into the Word of God. So last week we dealt with 1 Samuel chapters 1 to 8, and um, we left off with Samuel's sons not being able to be judges, not qualified to lead, and the reason why they weren't qualified to lead was they didn't walk in Samuel's ways. And unfortunately, it seems as though Samuel, even though he's a great man of God, replicated the sins of, well, the patterns, I should say, of Eli, who served God in the, in the uh, temple, but he didn't pay adequate attention to his sons. He walked in passivity towards them. And God, um, unfortunately, had to judge Eli because he let his sons run rampant. And it seems as though Samuel, who's brought up by Eli as his spiritual father, seemed to replicate that habit pattern, and perhaps by surmising, we could say that he didn't spend adequate time with his biological sons because he was so involved in his work in the, in the temple. Then we see the person that Samuel mentored, David, uh, seemed to lose um, almost all of his sons too, all his biological sons. So you see a pattern, a generational pattern, um, and we need to see scripture so that we look at the mistakes and we don't uh, repeat those same mistakes. So that is how we left off last week. Now we jump to chapter 10, and because we're going to uh, we're going through six chapters. I'm only going to skip through certain portions and try to give you one narrative that you can wrap your brain around. It's not the easiest thing in the world. So in chapter 10, we see how God um, announced that he was going to answer the prayer of Israel because after Samuel's sons were disqualified because they were taking bribes, the children of Israel asked for a king. They wanted a king just like the nations had. So my objective today in this teaching is to encourage us to prioritize faithfulness to God more than self-will and sacrifice. Some questions to ask ourselves is, do I judge by outward appearances like the rest of humankind or do I look at the heart of people? Do I confuse sacrifice and faithfulness and do I only sacrifice for the things that help me, or do I also sacrifice for the things of God? So in chapter 9, we see that uh, Samuel was looking for a king. God told him, you know, give them what they want. And there was a guy, it says in chapter 9 of Samuel, who was a man of Benjamin, that was a tribe, and his name was Kish, and it tells us that he was the father of Saul. He was a man of wealth, and Saul was a handsome young man, and it says that he was taller than any other person. So I don't believe it's an accident. The people asked for a king, and there was a caricature of a person that typifies what everybody desires. Desires someone with a lot of money, 
a lot of strength, a tall person, and a good-looking person. And it seems like nothing has changed, because that's what people are going after today as well. They judge by outward appearance. And um, I, you know, I feel so bad for so many of the women of, of our day, when you have all these celebrities constantly taking pictures with bikinis and uh, selfies and this and that. But you know, they have eight hours a day to go into the gym to have cosmetic surgery, take Botox, uh, take all these creams. They have nothing else to do. That's their living. And it, and it makes everybody else feel bad. And, uh, and unfortunately, humankind still is constantly judging by outward appearance. As Christians, we need to get beyond that. It doesn't mean that we don't care what we look like, but um, we should not only look at outward appearance. So... This is a man that was highlighted, and this man uh, was told by his father, I'm not going to read the whole story, chapter 9, you could go home and read chapter 9. He was told by his father to find the donkeys that were missing. So he's looking and looking and looking. Three days later, Saul says, my father's going to stop worrying about the donkeys, he's going to worry about me now. Let's get back. But one of the men that came with him said, wait a minute, there's a seer in Ramah, and he will know where the donkeys are. He's a man of God. So I said, okay, let's go. So they went to the city, and God had already told Samuel that the man that I want you to anoint king is looking for the donkeys of his father. As soon as he comes into the city, invite him to dinner after the sacrifice, and then anoint him as king. So Sam, Sam, uh, Saul looks for Samuel, and he says, do you know where the seer is? He happened to meet Samuel. Samuel said, I am the seer. I'm inviting you for dinner. Then he says, are you not the desire of Israel? And he said, the desire of Israel? I'm the least, I come from the tribe of Benjamin, the least of all the tribes. So long story short, he has dinner with Samuel. After dinner, he pulls, Samuel pulls Saul aside, and this is where we pick up now. We went from chapter 9 to chapter 10. It says in chapter 10, verse 1, Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you shall save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And so we see here God gave uh, the desires of Israel to them, and as an aside, sometimes God does that. Believe it or not, sometimes God answers prayer or gives us desires that aren't good for us. You keep nagging God and nagging God and nagging God, eventually God's going to say, you want it? Go ahead. You look at that with Balaam. You can look at that with... Um, in Proverbs chapter 1, it actually says, this is a scary thing, man. It says, because they hated knowledge and did not fear the Lord and didn't want my counsel and despise my correction, therefore they will eat the fruit of their own way and have their fill of their own desires. In other words, you want it? I'm going to give it over to you. You're going to have everything you want. That's what God does. Romans 1 Paul talks about this. Perhaps he got some ideas from Proverbs. It says, God gave them up, meaning humankind, into the lusts of their own hearts 
to impurity, even to the dishonoring of their own bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And so we see here, God does give us the desires of our hearts sometimes, but it may not be his desires. So you got to be careful what you ask for, what you constantly nag for. Sometimes, you, you know, you're constantly praying about, you know, something and, and you're feeling it's not God or, you know, or maybe scripture is not even conforming to that and you keep doing it. God may just let you have what you want. Let me tell you something. I thank God that he doesn't always answer my prayers. Some of the prayers I prayed would have destroyed me. Some of the people I wanted to connect to would have been bad for me. Um, God knows better. God knows the past, the present, and the future, right? And so uh, we have to be careful that we don't try to force our hand by nagging God with things that are obviously against his will. So we saw already Saul was more handsome than anybody else. He was the one chosen and later on, when God chose the king he wanted, it's interesting. First, he allowed the people to choose their king. And then they got their fill of this man. Then God said, all right, I'm going to choose my king. Right? And we also have to realize that there's always a counterfeit before the real thing comes. God tests you with the faults so that you will be tested with that and be more ready when the real comes. And so in 1 Samuel 16, we're going to be dealing with the life of David the next two weeks. I can't wait. But just a portion of that scripture, jumping ahead to chapter 16, after God rejected Saul for king, and we'll find out why in a minute, uh, God sent Samuel to Jesse's house, and he had several sons there. And he said, one of his sons is going to be the one that I've anointed to be king. And so the first one that came in front of Samuel, Samuel said, surely the Lord's anointed is in front of me. So he was making the same mistake. He thought that the, that the way God picked Saul, being that he was handsome, he was taller, he was stronger than anybody else, God was going to do the same thing. But he didn't realize that what God was doing the first time was giving them what they wanted to teach them a lesson. And sometimes God has even given us presidents, given us leaders that are judgment leaders to give us our fill of what we want. And I'm not going to tell you who I thought that was in the past uh, because I don't want to get into political stuff here because I'll get half of you upset and half of you will be jumping and shouting amen. So I'm going to stay away from that. But I believe that there are judgment presidents. There are judgment leaders. There are people that God allows in our life, whether it could be a boss. Uh, it could be somebody in proximity to you. It could even be a neighbor that is there to refine and to test and to allow you to depend on God and learn how to walk in love. But that being said, so Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen any of these. After all of his sons, seven of his sons went before him. And then he said, have, is there anybody else? Now, here's the interesting thing. Jesse didn't even consider David. David was the youngest. David was content to be obscure. He was a servant. He didn't want to be in the front. He didn't need to have the attention. There are some people, they suck the air out of every room they walk in. They have to be the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. So David stayed behind. 
He was not the one that wanted all the attention. And, uh, and so Jesse said, yeah, there's one more, but he's taking care of the sheep. He didn't even think enough to bring him to the party, to this celebration, and to this uh, significant time with a leader, with the leader of the nation, uh, the prophetic leader. And so when David came, the Lord said, anoint him. Wow. And he said, this is the one I've chosen. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. And this is what God said. Oh, I love this. He said, the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And later on, we find the great description of David. And if there's one epithet that I would love for people to say about me after I'm gone would be what they said about David. He was a man after God's own heart. That was more, he wanted God more than he wanted anything else in his life. And that's the greatest attribute that somebody could have. Notice that at, at funerals, people don't usually talk about how much money you had, how many houses you owned. Um, they didn't talk about a lot of different things. They talk about things having to do with how much you've cared, loved people. And the greatest thing is how much we love God. So God chose David, and it said he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. So that's one thing. Um, but the interesting thing is his father didn't even think of him. And I really believe that God find something in people that we don't see. God looks at the heart. There are people that we would have never picked. If I was Jesus, I would have never picked Peter to be the leader of the church. I would have never picked those 12 leaders. And one of the leaders he picked was called to betray him. How do you like that? Um, it's quite amazing how God operates. It's way beyond my bandwidth. I would have never chose me to be a pastor. I would have never chose me to preach. Matter of fact, if you would asked me if I would have been preaching when I was 19 years old, I would have said, you're nuts, because I couldn't stand preachers. I hated the Bible. I didn't really go to church. And, uh, you know, I just thought that these people were crazy. So, uh, and some people I thought were sincere, like my mom, but I, I wasn't thinking ever that I would ever be someone who would speak. So God looks at the heart. He looks at the potential. And that's something we have to set ourselves up for. Now we're going to uh, parts of chapter 10. As we read, Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on the head of Saul. Now some highlights of that we're going to look at. He was anointed and set in by another spiritual leader under the direction of the Lord. So this shows us that we need spiritual leaders that will look at our destiny, that will see past our outward appearance, that will be able to tell what God, in general, has called us to walk in. And so this shows, it wasn't like a word was given to, Sam, uh, to Saul directly. Sometimes God will speak to us, but sometimes God will speak to other people. So it's important that we have mature leaders in our church that we are around. And it's important that we speak life to one another, that we speak destiny, that we speak calling to one another. And so one of the greatest jobs we have as mature leaders, as disciples, is to 
help and, and encourage and speak into people and tell them, give them a hint of, of how, not only how much God loves them, but how God wants to use them, how God's calling is on them. There's so many people have low self-esteem and they don't believe God wants to use them. They think they messed up too much or they weren't educated enough. Uh, they didn't have a theology degree uh, or they didn't come from a wealthy family or maybe they have some disability or maybe they have some anxiety or maybe they have some personality disorder or maybe they have this or they have that and they disqualify themselves. But it's not you qualifying yourself. It's God who qualifies you. And it uh, doesn't matter what your past, it doesn't matter what your disability, it doesn't matter what you think your capability is. If you think you're capable, you're probably not. And if you think you're not, you probably can be. So that's how the kingdom of God operates. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. It's not many wise, it's not many rich, it's not many affluent, it's not many of the people of this world that are in the elite that God chooses. It says that He chooses the wise, He chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He chooses the weak things and the debased things that He is the one who gets glory and nobody else gets glory but God. Let's, let's get that right and so let him who glories glory in the Lord so David was called nobody else thought of it Samuel anointed uh, Saul because you needed someone else to do that you can't ordain yourself imagine you ever see the movie the apostle if you haven't you got to see it's hysterical but unfortunately there's a lot of truth in it here's some people who anoint themselves apostles uh, uh, call themselves and if somebody else hasn't recognized it and you're not set in by a leader then what right do you have to call yourself by that uh, and so there's more we could say then it says that after he anointed him with oil it says the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he prophesied him. Uh, uh, and he began to prophesy. And so as much natural ability as we all have, we all have some kind of ability. God wants to supernaturally anoint our natural abilities. It's not by power or by might, it's by His Spirit. It tells us in Zechariah chapter 7 verse 4, verse, uh, chapter 4 verse 7. And so we have to understand that if we can do God's work without being anointed of the Holy Ghost, then it's not really God's work. Even Jesus needed to be anointed by the Spirit, even though He was always God. He was dependent upon the Holy Spirit because it said He divested Himself of His power. He took upon Himself the form of a servant so that He can depend upon His Father. And if Jesus needed the Spirit to be upon Him to minister, how much more? So before I go out, before I deal with men, I meet God. I, I realize that I need to get filled with the Spirit of God every day. It's not just a one-time event. It's not just you get baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other languages, uh, 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 which is only a sign. It's not the baptism, but it's a sign of it. It's not just that one time. Some people get baptized in the Holy Ghost and they never speak in tongues again or they never get filled again. Uh, uh, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 5 to be continually filled with the Spirit. I remember one time I was so busy I didn't have a chance to pray and get filled with the Spirit. And I had a minister in those days. I was uh, my early 20s. I was running a life group. And I showed up. And after 10 minutes of trying to teach the 
pressure, the, the uh, attacks on my mind, they were too great to carry the weight of sharing the word. And after about 10 minutes, I broke down and cried. And I said, I came here to minister to you, but I need you guys to minister to me. You guys need to lay hands on me. So for the next half hour, they were just praying for me. And I said, I'll never make that mistake again. Uh, 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 my God, I don't dare stand up in this pulpit without being anointed by the Holy Ghost. I don't dare getting up before I pray a meeting through. I don't dare get up without spending a lot of time in the presence of God. Uh, I don't wait until I stand up to prepare. And we need to do the same with business, with school. If you're a student, spend time in the presence of God. If you're a boss, spend time in the presence of God. If you're a mother, try to get up when you can uh, before your kids get up, if it's possible. But do whatever you can to get filled with the Spirit. So the Spirit came on him, anointed his natural ability, because natural ability is not enough. Does everybody understand? Natural ability is important, but it's not enough. I don't care how smart you are, you need the presence of God. Then Samuel said to him, go before me to Gilgal. Now listen, just focus on this. And I want you to wait for seven days until I come, and then I'll tell you what to do. So every time we're anointed, there is a, a, a commandment, an assignment. Everybody here is called of God. You're not all called to be pastors, but you're all called to be holy before God. You're called to be, uh, if you have children, you're called to be a parent. If you get married, you're called to be a spouse. If you have a business or you're working for somebody or you're a student, everyone has an assignment. So there's an assignment to walk out this anointing. God never anoints you just so you could soak uh, without doing something. He demands of us to uh, represent him in this world. So he got an assignment, and that was a simple thing. Go to Gilgal, don't do anything until I come, wait there. That's it. Well, the next thing that happened was, after he got this word and this assignment, he turned his back to leave Samuel, and it says that as he began walking, God changed his heart. Isn't that amazing? God didn't change his heart until he began to walk in it. You're never fully ready for what God has called you to do. But if you know or if you have a sense of an assignment, as soon as you begin doing it, God will give you the right paradigm. He'll give you the right mentors. He'll give you the right information. It says it changed his heart, meaning he had the right perspective. God starts giving you downloads. Uh, it's like power steering. It doesn't work unless you're driving, right? You've got to be in motion. And as soon as you take a step, God starts preparing you even more. If you stay in your house for fear of not being prepared enough to do anything, you'll never get anywhere. You're never ever going to be ready until you begin to walk in your assignment. So that's what that teaches us. Does that make sense? So God changed his heart when he began walking. Wow, that's powerful. You could preach a whole message on that. I wasn't ready to be married. I wasn't ready to have kids. I wasn't ready to be a pastor. I wasn't ready to do anything I was called to do. But as I trusted God and got help and counsel and began to do it, then God began to help us. And that's how it works. So nobody here is capable without God. Last thing that happened after he was anointed was he went to Gibeah 
And behold, there was a group of prophets that met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. So what happened was, when he got into the company of prophets, he began to prophesy. This shows us that part of the preparation and the part of our assignment is we need the body of Christ. We need a company of prophets. We need a company of believers. We need to be with people that think like us, who have our values, who believe like us, who worship the same Lord. It's like there are so many people who think they could be Christians on their own, who don't attend church, who think they could listen to a message online, and that's their church. And I want you to understand something, that Christianity is a team sport. It's not golf. You can't just work on your swing and join the PGA. It's a team sport. It would be like telling somebody you could get in the NBA by practicing in your backyard until you're 19 and then you're a walk-on and you'll be good enough. No, if you don't learn how to work with the team, you'll never make it in the major leagues. You'll never make it in basketball. You'll never make it in hockey. You'll never make it in soccer you'll never make it in american football you'll never make it in volleyball you'll never make it in handball uh for crying out loud you'll never learn to dance just by yourself if you're doing ballroom dancing so christianity is a team sport somebody say christianity is a team sport You'll never have the anointing. You'll never have the preparation. You'll never have the gifts around you. You'll never have the encouragement. You'll never have the milieu. You'll never have the environment necessary to walk in your calling. Not just your ministry, but your family, but your business. Every aspect of your life is affected by being part of the church. And one of the biggest uh, plans and strategies of the devil is to isolate you. You get offended, you get hurt, and you don't want to be in church anymore. And that's whatever the devil tells you, just obey the opposite. All right? If you just do that, you'll be in good condition. All right. So then we skip ahead. We understand that we can't walk in our destiny outside the context of the body of Christ. Now we go to chapter 13. He was commanded to wait seven days. Remember that. Wait seven days for Samuel before you do anything. Well, you read chapter 13, unfortunately, he didn't wait. And he got nervous because Samuel was late. And he began offering sacrifices, something he wasn't supposed to do. And he began uh, uh, doing things he shouldn't have been doing. He wasn't called to be as a priest as a, uh, in, that, and in that vein. And so he didn't wait for Samuel. And um, wow. Now, please listen to this. With every prophetic, well, put it this way. With every assignment... Usually there's some kind of prophetic word that tells you about it. Unless it's a natural assignment you're walking in. Ministry assignment, let's say, or vocation. Do you know the source? I'm, I'm going to give you a hint now. This will help you. I wish I heard this when I was, say, 42 years ago. Do you know the greatest source of spiritual warfare, attack, and testing is going to be based on the prophetic words you get related to your assignment. You know that? Someone said, I feel like I'm called to be an apostle. Okay, you're going to have apostolic tests then before you walk in that. Whatever you're called to walk in, you will get tests commensurate to that assignment because God doesn't want unprepared people. So before you walk in it, 
Boom. So the time clock starts as soon as you get the word and you receive it. As soon as you get a sense of what God has called you to do, boom, the time clock is on. And so God tested Saul right away. He said, you got to wait seven days. Didn't wait seven days. He just started doing what he wanted to do. And right after he started with the sacrifices, guess who shows up? Samuel. The last minute. The last minute. That's what happens. God tests us. Do you want to run ahead of me? Do you want to walk in faith or presumption? Do you want to do your own thing or do you want to do what I want? And the biggest thing people make mistakes on in prophecies is timing. They always think it's sooner than later. And it's, it's, oh my God, what a mistake. But I'm not here to teach on prophecy. And so it tells us in Psalm 105, you should definitely write this one down. Psalm 105, verse 16, talking about Israel, Jacob, and his sons. God summoned the famine on the land and then broke all supplies of bread. And then he sent a man ahead of them, Joseph. Remember Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he said came to pass. Now listen to this, please. The word of the Lord tested him. The dream he had that he would have seven, uh, 12 stars and uh, you know he had these dreams that all these people would be bowing to him. Remember that? In, I think it's uh, Genesis 37. That became the basis of his tests because right after that he was sold as a slave. Wow. Whatever God has called you to do be from the time you get the word until the time it's fulfilled there's going to be a mean, mean test and if you can't pass that test don't think that it's going to be fulfilled. Does this make sense? Um, and then he failed that thing, and God says, I would have given your kingdom forever to your descendants, but now I'm taking it away from you. But he didn't say he was going to remove him as king. He gave him a second mission. For Samuel 15, he was told to kill the Amalekites, kill the leader, and kill everything they owned, including their cattle, their sheep, everything, right? That's what God told him to do. You just look that up. So what did Saul do? He changed the commandment around and he kept the best of the flock. And he didn't kill the king. So he kept the most influential person. He kept the best of the flock. And he just devoted to destruction the things he didn't want. The sick, the weak. He killed the animals that he didn't think were good animals. So what did Saul do? Saul showed he doesn't have a heart after God because he gave God his worst, not his best. We give God our leftover time, our leftover prayers, our leftover money, our leftover heart. Uh, instead of giving God the best of our time, our treasure and talents, we give God sometimes our worst. That's what Saul did. He gave God what he didn't want anyway. If I have some money left over, God, I'll give it to you. If I have some time, I'll go to church on Sunday. If I have some time, I'll pray. Uh, uh, you know, we give our bosses 100% because we want the money, but we come home, we're too tired to do anything for God. So the thing is, we need to put God first. He wants the best of our time, our treasure, and our talent. He ran ahead of God, and he sacrificed the animals he wanted. 
And it's like people tell God what they want to believe. Instead of believing what God says, we tell God how we want to interpret what he says. Uh, there was a, a data that I just read the other day. 80% of Christians that are between the age of 25 and 40 are committing premarital sex or extramarital sex. And a lot of them don't think there's anything wrong with sex outside of marriage. Duh. What Bible are you reading? I mean, I didn't say it was easy, but what Bible are you reading? God cannot be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. If you're not married and you're living with somebody and you're having fornication, you're committing, you're having sex with someone you're not married to, that's wrong. I'm here to tell you it's sin. You need to stop it. You need to get married or live separately until you're ready to get married. Well, I'm not ready to get married. I don't have the money. Then don't sleep with her. You know what I'm saying? You don't, you want to have the milk without buying the cow. You got to buy the cow before you have the milk. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. Then about 60% of the young people between the age of 18 and 25 are addicted to pornography. I didn't say they look at pornography. They are addicted. Now, a lot of them think there's nothing. This is what they say. I kid you not. I'm not having physical sex. There's nothing wrong with it. Okay. So, I, I don't think I need to explain more. So, Jesus said, if you lust after a woman, even if you're not with her, you've already committed adultery. So, if you need a scripture, Matthew 5, 27 and 29. Just read it. Go to your Bible hub. All right. So, many people think they're smarter than God. They can tell God what to do. And this is what Samuel said to Saul. After Saul was giving him all these excuses, he was saying, but I did sacrifice. I did obey the Lord. He was giving him all these things. And I love Samuel. In the middle, you've you got to read it for yourself. This is too much time. We don't have much time left. Read 1 Samuel 15. He's like, I did sacrifice to the Lord. I did obey the Lord. I did this. I did that. And what did Samuel say? He said, shut up. He literally said, shut your mouth. And hear what the Lord has to say. Comes a certain point where, you know, just shut your mouth. Stop making the excuses. Let's get real. Let's get honest. God knows what you did. God knows why you did it. God knows when you did it. God knows how you did it. So why in the world are you trying to lie to God? Oh, my Lord. And this is what he said to Sam Saul. He said, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. How about we all say that? Let's all say that. That's the key part of this message. Say, to obey, to obey. is better than sacrifice. sacrifice. Meaning, you could work your tail off. You could work three jobs. God is not impressed how much you sacrifice. Talk about all these athletes, they're practicing, they stay late before after the game's over working on this shot working in, yeah it's all good it's all good hard work never hurt anybody but in the context of this 
God's not impressed at all your sacrifice if you're willfully disobeying him. He wants you to work hard at faithfulness. Work hard in the context of God's will, not outside of his will. On the day of judgment, he's not going to say, Oh, all right, you worked as a porter, then you worked, uh, you know, UPS, uh, and then you had your own business, you worked 20 hours a day. Come in, well and faithful servant. Come in and enjoy the glory of the Lord, because you worked many hours. Then every factory worker would go to heaven. We wouldn't need Jesus to die on the cross. Hard work is important. I'm a proponent of hard work. But one of the scariest things would be on the day of judgment, God tells me, Joe, you worked hard, but at the wrong thing. You never fulfilled the assignment I gave you. Oh man, we can end the meeting right now. Ah. I, I, I am going to end it now because the rest of it will distract from this point. And so what is the application today? Are you serving God your way or His way? Are you sacrificing hard only for yourself or for God's kingdom? Are you being obedient to the call God has upon you? And are you living life? This is one thing I didn't say, but when Saul finally got honest, when Samuel corrected him strongly, he said, I did it because I feared the voice of the people. I did what the people wanted. They wanted me to make these sacrifices. They wanted me to go ahead. I was scared. And so, it's very, very difficult, albeit you could say it's impossible, to obey God and please the preponderance of the people and culture. Can't live by the likes you get on Instagram and Facebook, but live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Father, we just thank you for the lessons we could learn. In this narrative, we thank you, God, for hard work, but help us to work hard for you, not just for ourselves. We thank you for the natural abilities and gifts we have. Father, we pray that we would wait on you so that you could supernaturally empower those gifts. And Father, we pray that you would help us to edify one another, even as Saul became a prophet because he was with prophets, that that corporate calling on this church would impact 
would resonate, would make an imprint in everyone's life. That that corporate calling and anointing would externally be realized, no matter where we are, bringing God's kingdom to every aspect of culture and community. We trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-436-0242, extension 0.